0: Hi, I'm Carly Squires and welcome to Animals Are Calling, a brand new podcast from World Animal Protection. Each week I'll be joined by a panel of experts as we discuss the biggest issues affecting animals right now, how they affect people and the planet, and what we can all do to help make a difference. For this episode, I am joined by World Animal Protection's Cameron Harsh and Vince Sinches to discuss how reducing your meat intake can truly make a difference to animals and the environment. But what are the ways in which we can practically reduce our meat consumption? And how are big brands joining the movement? Thank you so much for subscribing to the podcast. We'd love to hear from you in the form of a review. It's great feedback for us and helps other people find the podcast. Just click on the review section wherever you listen to the podcast. So let's get into it. It's time to join the food revolution. Vince, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Before we get into the subject of meat reduction, it would be great for our listeners to find out a little bit about you. So let's start with Cameron. You're um, across the pond in the US, is that right?
1: Yes, that's right. So I am the programs director for world animal protection in the US. Our offices are are in New York City, but I'm based in the uh, sunny at the moment, Washington, D.C.,
0: Beautiful, and it's morning time for you, right, right now?
1: Yes, yeah, just after eight AM. So I've got my coffee.
0: I appreciate you getting up early to to come and talk to us today. Uh, and Vince, whereabouts are you, and what is it you do for wild animal protection?
2: Well, I'm the international campaign manager for farming. Uh, I'm looking at Asia and the Pacific, so that's our offices in 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 Thailand, India, China. Uh, and now we are uh, including uh, Australia and New Zealand. And now recently we are, I'm also looking at Indonesia because we have a campaign over right there. I'm based in the Philippines. So good evening from my side.
0: It's a pleasure to have you both on today. Um, but we're here to talk about meat reduction. Uh, Cameron, could you kick off by just telling us a little bit about the campaign for meat reduction and what it's all about?
1: Yeah, certainly. World Animal Protection is looking to transform our food system to one that is humane and sustainable and equitable. And we recognized early on that this requires a dramatic reduction in the number of animals we're producing and consuming for food. Uh, That's really the way that we're going to create a system that is better for people, planet, and the animals within it. Um, So we're really calling on corporations and individuals to reduce the amount of meat in their daily lives.
0: So Vince, we talked a little bit about animals there. How many animals are affected by the meat industries?
2: As we did like 50 years ago, like in 2018, our production was around 340 million tons. So it basically means that there are 80 billion animals are basically slaughtered each year for meat.
0: Wow that that is staggering yeah that is staggering we've talked a few times about stats and numbers on this podcast and it's obviously an overwhelming number 80 billion animals is that including fish as well?
2: It's not uh it's not even including fish yet so can you just imagine the billions wow. of fish being caught being farmed uh, it's it's you know, it's unimaginable that way, uh, mi- billions and billions of animals suffering. I just had a conversation with a friend a while ago, like for here in the Philippines, though we don't have an office here, but I'm based here. I was actually surprised that for, for Filipinos, we are actually like 1.1 billion chickens are actually slaughtered in my country alone. So that's very big. And then I was asking, and they, she told me that it's even an under under data so you can just imagine what's <gasps> not being reported as well in terms of animal suffering. Yeah,
0: that's, again, it's it's thinking about each individual life as well, isn't it? Because like you say, that is such a staggering number for one place alone. I mean, meat consumption happens across the globe. But each of those numbers are individual animal lives where they feel, yeah, it's just unbelievable. Um, which is why we're here today to talk about it. Cameron, do you want to tell me a little bit about how the meat industry looks in the US where you're based?
1: Yeah, in, in the US, factory farming of animals is really established here. And so that's the industrial intensive scale of animal production where they're typically confined in barns or feedlots in high numbers. They're crowded in. They are um, bred and fed in a way that encourages them to grow incredibly fast at unnatural growth rates. And that has major implications for the way their bodies develop. Chickens that are raised for meat have leg weaknesses, leg abnormalities. Pigs raised for meat have hypertension, heart issues. Um, So there's a number of just enormous animal impacts to the bodies themselves. But they also, in factory farming systems, to physical procedures to change the animals physically to accommodate the systems that they're in. They dock the tails of pigs, and cutting them off uh, at the base so that they can't bite one another's tails in this highly stressful environment. Um, and in the US, as I mentioned, our industry is very well established. We factory farm most animal species that are consumed. So chickens for meat, chickens for eggs, fish, cows for milk, cows for meat, pigs, um, and we have more than 9 billion animals raised for food each year in the U.S. alone.
0: So that's a lot of people consuming meat. When you said about the docking and and that kind of thing, so, so when animals are kind of put into smaller spaces and when they're being modified um, and cruelly treated, that's in order to just create convenience for the factory farms or... What is that for?
1: Yeah, it's a result of looking at these animals, these sentient living beings, as commodities and part of this industrialized system. So it's about making them fit the system rather than making a system that works for the animals. So we trim the beaks of chickens so in when they're kept tend to a cage, they don't peck each other and injure each other. Um, as I mentioned, we cut off the tails of pigs So that in that stressful, really crowded environment, when pigs kind of want to act out, they don't have a tail to bite onto. And it's really just this unfortunate way that we look at farmed animals right now and not recognize their sentience, not recognize their comfort and well-being, and the way that that impacts um, the environment, our health, the animal's health, and all of these other systems around it.
0: Absolutely. And I should take this chance now to mentioned that we uh, go in depth on factory farming in episode two of animals are calling uh, with Mark Dia so if you do want to learn a little bit more about that and come back to this episode I would recommend it so I'm because we've obviously got you as well Vince from the Philippines I'm interested to know if the meat industry looks different there or um, how it compares to uh, the U.S.
2: What what is interesting in the Philippines, so I think in terms of factory farm, the highly industrialized farming are still the same across the world. But in terms of growth, uh, we are in a region where meat consumption is increasing. Um, and, And then if there's going to be strong campaigns against factory farms or industrialized farming, for example, like in the US or in the Europe, some of these companies will just adapt and then they are just going to expand here in the Philippines or in or in Indonesia. There are just, there's a lot of forest here. So I um, so basically, that's why it's important for us as a global organization like World Animal Protection that we are, when we talk to how we are going to stop the spread of factory farms. So, so you can just imagine like in Indonesia forests are being cleared to pave the way for uh, feeds for farm animals or, or to put up poultries or even so that's that's basically happening across the globe and similar in the in, in the Philippines and in Asia.
0: Well, I really interesting vince is I, I was reading a little bit uh, about meat reduction and the campaign you're doing just before we started and I read about um, particularly China adopting sort of a westernized heavy meat diet and how that is playing into the meat industry there, um, is that correct and if so could you explain that a little bit for us
2: i, I think it's important for us to think that um for some like in asia uh, meat consumption is a sort of like a status symbol it's like an aspirational life um it's it's re- reverting so when you have like high income you always go to fast food restaurants because you, you know, most of the time we just, we are in this in our homes, cooking our own food. We have our own gardens. And then because of, you know, um, collusion of these big factory farms with some media outlets and pushing it out there that every day you should go to these fast food restaurants, you should be able to eat meat. So it's increasingly that way. Uh, and, and, and it's also good on the other hand, because, uh, a lot of people now are, are, are seeing the effects of this aspirational life in terms of change of diet. So a lot of people are affected in terms of health. And then some of the communities are also affected in terms of uh, uh, water pollution because they are trying to increase the production of meat. And then, you know, uh, the waste from these factory farms are just being dumped in in, in waterways. So that's also what, what, what complicates about all of this is the in, in this... In this part of the world, in, in the global south, there's also a very weak regulation. There's strong pollution between governments and industry. So that is why there's an important space for people to really speak out. So that is what is happening.
0: That's really fascinating looking at the differences between uh, the US and the Philippines. And one thing I am really surprised about is how meat consumption is actually going up, um, particularly as there seems to be so many, like we're really embracing this campaign to get meat reduction happening. And there's a lot more options now for sort of meat alternatives. Um, could you explain a little bit as to why that consumption is going up and also maybe touch on why there are more options available now regarding meat alternatives? I
1: think one reason that meat consumption is still going up in the United States and it's estimated that the average person consumes about 264 pounds of meat each year um, is largely due because production of meat continues to grow in the United States as well and that's largely due to government programs that offer cost offsets and financial incentives to the meat industry to continue to grow, um, and the industry is incentivized to continue to expand. And then our government also helps market that meat to people, um, advertising beef and chicken and dairy products to people um, and the importance of it in their daily lives and that messaging that people hear. And so we do still have this cultural idea in the united states that that meat is vital and meat is a part of every meal Um, as and at the same time as economics change in our country and income goes up for individuals they are seeing different types of meat as status symbols and you know expensive cuts of meat as things to pursue Um, so it really is about from our mind really raising awareness about not only the availability of these alternatives that are increasing in the market but the importance to public health, to climate, to animal welfare, to all these issues that people already care about, um, that meat reduction helps to achieve. Um, And uh, kind of increasing awareness that meat does not have to be a part of every single meal. It does not need to be this center of the plate. It is something that that we can rebalance.
0: Yeah, because speaking on that, I know a lot of people... Um, particularly like I'm a vegetarian and a big thing I've, I've faced from people is saying that I need to be really careful of a healthy diet. And particularly if I want to look at becoming a vegan, that, uh, it's not healthy, um, in regards to protein, um, is that true? Are are we, are people kind of making assumptions that are wrong there, Cameron?
1: I think people are making assumptions based on the information they have available to them. And in the U.S., that is exactly what we hear, that you need meat and dairy in your life to be healthy, um, particularly as a growing child. And I think part of that is because, uh, as I mentioned, our government helps fund the marketing machine for the meat industry. Um, And our government is also putting out things like the dietary guidelines and controlling um, what schools serve to their children while they're students there. Um, So from an early age, we get this very clear messaging that in order to be healthy, we have to eat meat. And I think what we're finding by the rise of vegetarianism, the rise of veganism, that that's not necessarily true. Um, And diets are extremely personal and very individual. um, And so it really is something that people have to go on those journeys themselves to figure out what types of protein they need to be healthy um, and happy and, and whole as a person.
0: What we're discussing at the moment, it's really interesting. Um, And moving on, we will be talking about some important solutions to this and how our listeners can make a difference as well. Vince, I'd love to know if you are working locally uh, to make a change in the Philippines and what it is you're doing.
2: Especially in the global south, farm animal welfare is a bit new. So okay. um, it's also good that we in World Animal Protection, we have this re-granting uh, to support other organizations who may want to, to start a program around farm animal welfare. And then we we're able to, to 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 talk to and have conversations with consumer welfare organizations, uh, including fisheries organizations and oceans conservation organizations. So they are now looking at the importance of animal welfare because for the longest time, they're just talking about consumers' rights and public health. And then now they are slowly seeing also the importance of choices for consumers, the importance of having animal welfare, the importance of consumers having choices, and the importance also of consumers uh, uh, ha- being heard by the government, uh, and especially by by those who are producing our food, for them to be offered you know, uh, healthy plant-based options as well. Uh, Even for... um, Sorry, sorry, but just check.
0: So are you talking about sort of local restaurants, shops? um, Are these brands, are they, you know, uh, your favourite restaurant down the road?
2: Exactly. So um, there are now people uh, increasingly talking to their favourite restaurants. They are now talking to our... Some people are even writing to their local chief, Executives in the governments that they they would want to you know to widen their 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 options or choices or even those um, uh, uh, there's this oceans conservation organization so they're just talking about sustainable seafood and then later on they have realized that one of the biggest uh, neglected topic within the conservation or sustainable organization is that they the recognition that the fish or the animals that we are you know, dealing with are sentient. They have the capacity to feel pain and pleasure. And I think there's an increasing uh, interest among them. So that's what I do. So I just bridge these uh, local organizations, uh, provide uh, network in, in other countries and regions as well. And, and it's also good that we're able to provide support to some of these organizations in scaling up some, uh, their work
0: Absolutely. Is that, is that a similar case in the US, Cameron?
1: Yeah, in the US, I think we've seen a lot of progress in the last few years um, in terms of advocacy and campaigning for meat reduction and, and particularly for increasing alternative proteins. We've seen a lot of major chains, uh, chain restaurants in the US add menu items like Burger King has their iconic Whopper with a patty from Impossible Burger. Um, Starbucks has a breakfast sandwich with uh, an impossible um, patty on there as well. So we're seeing this come into the mainstream um, a little bit slower, more slowly than we would like, Um, but companies are really seeing this as not just a consumer trend to capitalize on, but something that is important for their broader sustainability and responsibility goals. Um, And we also are seeing greater engagement with our supporters in the U.S. on this issue and engagement with some of the resources and tools that we put out there um, through our Meeting Halfway campaign, uh, such as recipes and and things of that nature, to really identify strategies for taking meat out of some of your meals and putting in alternatives.
0: So sorry, Cameron, what, what is the Meeting Halfway campaign?
1: Yeah, the meeting halfway journey is uh, something that people can sign up for online. And it's a 21-day challenge for people to reduce their consumption of meat by 50% for those 21 days um, and look to alternative proteins, whole plant-based proteins, and, and the alternative meats that are on the market, um, and look to increase those in their diet for those 21 days. And then after those 21 days, we follow up on ways to kind of continue that that change in perpetuity and really make that a, a lifestyle change rather than a, a short-term challenge.
0: Oh, wow. So it's like an accessible way in which people can remove meat from their diets. I love that. Um, interestingly, speaking of Burger King, I know that Burger King and McDonald's here in the UK have also introduced plant-based burgers to their menus. Um so it is happening globally i was just interested cameron in your opinion on why these big brands adopting plant-based menus are so important of course we want to encourage our listeners uh, to shop locally as well because that has a um huge impact on helping the planet and animals but why do these big chains need to show up for this
1: yeah, shopping locally is, is certainly important, and buying from your local farmers and supporting the economy in your local area is is a great way to transform the food system. I think particularly still in the U.S. context, the majority of people still do go to fast food restaurant chains um, at least every once in a while, though a good chunk of people go regularly. There is... Uh, A convenience element that is important to recognize. People have families. They have busy schedules. Mealtime is something that can be a lot of stress um, and something that people don't have a lot of time for. So fast food offers something that that is really fitting into people's lives and schedules right now. So then to meet people where they're at, which is a big part of of how we campaign at World Animal Protection um, with menu items on fast food menus is a really great way to just start getting people to taste test some of these products, experience them for the first time, see that they are delicious um, and giving them everything they want from that meat-based item. It's a way to really kind of get in the door and then get people thinking about, oh, I don't need a um, animal-based product at this meal. I can buy this plant-based product instead.
0: Absolutely. And that's how we can vote is with with our money. I was also wondering if like, it benefits the big chains, um, I imagine they have sustainability goals they need to reach. Um, does, does it help them in that way as well?
1: Yeah, we have actually in the US produced our business case for protein diversification two years in a row now. And it really shows some of the research on adding plant-based meat alternatives to your menus is going to increase food, foot traffic into your restaurants, increase consumer loyalty um, and actually, for Burger King, increased their revenues for for the quarters following their launch of the Impossible Whopper. Um, so, business wise, and these are capitalist entities that need to make money. It does make sense for their for their companies. Um, we're also talking to companies about how this shift also makes sense for their sustainability goals. A lot of companies are making commitments to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, and a lot of those emissions come from the meat and dairy supply chain through the production of animal feed, deforestation, um, and grassland conversion for corn and soy production and transporting those feed inputs over thousands of miles. That's where a lot of those emissions are coming from. Um, So companies making broader climate commitments, sustainability commitments can also see that going more plant-based and reducing the amount of meat in their supply chain is helping them make some of their more far-reaching Uh, commitments.
0: I think as well um, you talked a little bit about accessibility for a lot of families um, it is just easy it's easy to use fast food chains like you say people have busy schedules a good thing about the big chains taking on um, plant-based options is that I know that for a lot of people a big hurdle is uh, creating recipes at home and knowing what to do, if they've cooked with meat all their life, that's that's a habit that's with them. And trying to make that transition is really hard. Um, and I suppose if they see these big brands doing it, then there's no reason that they can't do it. Vince, can you share one of your favorite recipes?
2: My, my favorite recipe actually is a mung beans. It's a green mung beans. And at the same time, I I use like a, a squash uh butter squash and then i use the coconut milk so you just have to simmer it and then it's good to go and then you just add salt and everything so that's easy and then you can just leave it there just simmering for like uh, for an hour and then you can do your work and then you can just go back so that's usually my routine in the morning so uh, I prepare my, my vegetables. My favorite one is the mung beans and then the um, butter squash with coconut milk.
0: Okay, that sounds amazing. Um, I'm getting hungry sat here. And speaking of recipes, I know that, Kevin, you mentioned the. Meet Me Halfway campaign, does that come with recipes as well that people can learn from?
1: Yeah, the part of the Meeting Halfway journey is you receive um, a number of recipes. We've partnered with some cooking sites to find some really great plant-based recipes that are easy and delicious and really kind of a, a good way to start practicing cooking and consuming a more plant-based diet. We also have done videos with chefs um, and with our own staff kind of cooking those recipes alongside people on Instagram or, or other platforms um, so it's really a, a great resource
2: most recently like uh, we partner with ProVeg. they launched this uh, food innovation challenge for Southeast Asia and their targets are students across Southeast Asia so basically coming up with good recipe uh, for plant-based options and then it was it was a very good uh, a contest, a competition among different colleges and universities in 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 Southeast Asia. It's also one way of of introducing, like uh, involving small kids, and then those kids. i going to talk to their families that we are going to do this, and you know there are so many options in uh, making healthy, tasty plant based food. So it was it was it was su- successful, and they were able to to launch it a couple of months ago.
0: Yes, that's such a good point, Vince. Uh, Because a lot of this as well is to do with education, isn't it? Which is why we're sat here today having this conversation is, you know, passing this learning on to future generations so they can be part of this food revolution. Listeners, you can go to our Instagram or our Twitter pages. There's a really amazing video of um, children opening up what would be a realistic factory farm. play set in comparison to the one that has been marketed to us which is cows out on green fields which in most cases when it comes to farming these days isn't accurate Um, and it was fantastic watching the children um, make up their own mind about how they felt about these farms and so again Vince calling back to what you were saying to get them involved with the cooking and seeing how many amazing spices and flavors you can use with alternatives to meat, um, means that it's going to be a very bright future, I think. So Cameron, would you like to share um, with our listeners where they can access information about the um, meat reduction campaign?
1: Yeah, so our meat reduction campaign is uh, available online at worldanimalprotection.us slash eat less meat. That's where you can sign up for our meeting halfway challenge and get some of our, our resources and toolkits. Um, and more information about reducing the meat in your diet.
0: Brilliant. Okay, so um, in every episode we uh, ask our guests to provide a couple of easy or accessible ways in which myself and the listeners uh, can help in uh, the campaign to reduce meat. Um, So Cameron, would you like to provide us with a couple of ideas?
1: There's a number of ways to to help in our meat reduction campaign. I think one great way is to change that individual behavior, sign up for our Meeting Halfway campaign and look at what you can do in your daily life to reduce the amount of meat and increase your consumption of plant-based foods. We also have a number of actions targeting restaurant chains like Dunkin' um, and other chains of that nature that you can send them an email, let them know positively that you'd like plant-based menu items on their menus uh, when you patronize their restaurants and help us pitch this movement to restaurant chains.
0: Fantastic and Vince have you got um, any other ideas you'd like to share as well?
2: Yeah uh, just just basing for my experience for for any for countries that we don't have an office uh, for World Animal Protection and I think it's important for us to uh, to start our own community to start talking about it Um, we can even you know uh, we can calculate our menu and we can take out uh, some meat from from our daily intake and then that's that's one way of reducing our um, our meat consumption and and, and I do agree that it's important for us to, to create communities we can even start uh, uh, writing sending letters to our, to our government and to our favorite fast food restaurants we we can join campaigns as started by local organizations so like against KFC or Uh, and then talking to our uh, influencers uh, about this
0: Okay, so we're nearly at the end of this episode Um, but I'd just like to get to know you both a little bit more before I let you go, so Cameron uh, do you have a favourite or a funny animal fact you'd like to share with us?
1: I would say just one of my favourite facts about animals is how intelligent pigs are and how they can beat some humans at video games. Um, so, I mean, I'm terrible at video games anyway, so I imagine most pigs would be able to beat me, but it's it's a great, great fact.
0: You know what? Like Anyone that's listened to all of these podcasts will know that I'm a huge pig fan. Um, and so I'm totally on the same page as you, Especially since I'm also terrible at video games. So perhaps two of us could be a pig. I'm not 100% sure, but we could give it a go.
1: I'm, I'm not confident.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to get some training in first. Vince, do you have a, an animal fact you'd like to share as well?
2: My, my favorite animal is actually a shark. And then and then the, the skin of sharks, they're actually called denticles. So denticles, they are like tooth, uh, tooth-like protection uh, on their skin.
0: Wow. I did not know that. Amazing. So, just to to finish things off, um, I ask this to all the guests on each episode. So, Cameron, why do you love what you do for wild animal protection?
1: Well, absolutely. I, I love animals and I'm passionate about creating a world that, that factors animals into our lives and improves their well being. Um, and and beyond that, I just I love working in the advocacy space generally, and just working with people who are committed to seeing change in their lifetimes and to improving the systems of the world, whether they're for animals or for people or for the environment. Um, the advocacy movement is just inspiring.
0: Fantastic. Uh, how about you, Vince? Why do you love what you do?
2: Well, I, I really wanted to be to be part of something you know meaningful to provide solutions, and then. Um, something to contribute within my lifetime to change something that that's not only for me but for 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 the rest of humanity including animals so i think that's what i love uh, about what i'm doing
0: well i have to say you're both honestly amazing um i've loved talking to you both and i think that we've you've both explained a fairly simple accessible way for our listeners and me to to help animals and the planet so thank you so much for joining me today thank you
1: carly
2: thank you so much
0: that's it for this episode many thanks to my guests cameron harsh and vince cinches we would love to hear from you Please get in touch with us with any questions or comments on our social channels. Just search for World Animal Protection on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Also, please subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. Animals Are Calling is a podcast from World Animal Protection. It's produced and mixed by Johnny Bunyan for Pardon Our French. The executive producer is Emmy Kondo. Thank you so much for listening.